Welcome to Truth for Transformation with Timothy Brown. Timothy is the lead pastor of Arden First Baptist Church in Arden, North Carolina. Our mission is to lead ordinary people into extraordinary life in Christ. We pray that today's message inspires you to live an extraordinary life in Jesus Christ. Check out our website for more inspiring resources, ArdenFBC.com. Now, here's today's message from Pastor Timothy Brown. So today I want to present to you four noble ideas about how, how to have a noble mind. You know, these Bereans that said that they had a noble mind, they were different than the people at Thessalonica. So what is it like to have a noble mind? So concept number one is a noble mind that deeply cares for the well-being of those in God's kingdom. Look back at verse 10. It says, Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And skip down to verse 14. Then immediately the brethren sent Paul away to go to the sea, but both Silas and Timothy remained there. So I want you to notice that both the churches in Thessalonica and Berea, they were concerned about Paul. And why were they concerned about Paul? Well, they thought that Paul would die if, if he was left to the mob. And what you see is that Paul, even though that he was an apostle, he surrounded himself with good people. He knew that Christianity was a team sport. You can't do ministry alone. So I want to encourage you. I need you to have my back and I'm going to have your back. We need each other. We need to work together for the gospel ministry. Even Jesus recruited how many men to support him? He had 12 men plus he had a group of women and others that supported him. So notice the church at Thessalonica, they sent Paul away under the cover of night. And the reason for that is the mob, they wanted to kill Paul. So at nighttime they were able to escape. And this is not the first time this has happened to Paul. If you remember, I believe it's in Acts 9.25, they lowered Paul through a basket at night, through a basket in the wall, so that he could escape. So the church at Berea, you see in verse 14, they sent Paul away because this angry mob wanted to kill Paul. And I just want to challenge you that in your life, you're going to have people that come against you. You're going to have people in your family, believe it or not. You're going to have people at work. Sometimes I hear your stories about people at work. And you're going to have people in ministry. And you just need to be encouraged that that sometimes happens. And you need to realize that you only have one life. Well, you realize that, right? Only one life, and it will soon be passed, and only what you do for Christ will last. So if you want to change your life, you've got to first start by changing your mind. And Paul knew that he had to keep going. He had other people to, to reach. So I just want to ask you, what are you investing your life in? Paul's life was invested in the kingdom of God. So as we start a new year, what are you investing your life in? Is it in the things that fade away or is it the things that last forever? And I just want to challenge you. Maybe it's investing one hour a month or one hour a week in kingdom purposes. Just a few examples at the church. Uh, Miss Amy, she has at least like eight ladies that volunteer in the office. They, they do four-hour shifts, and they love on people that come through. Uh, we have people in the tech ministry that are serving. Uh, people right now, as we speak, in the kids' ministry, loving on our kids. So think about how you can invest your life, because God wants us to pour our life into others. And the beautiful thing about the Apostle Paul is he had people around him that were concerned for his well-being. If you look on your listening guide, Philippians 2, 3, and 4 It says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility of mind, esteem others as what? Better than yourselves. That's hard to do, right? To put 
others first. There used to be, uh, uh, I wouldn't say a fad, but a lot of people were wearing bracelets, I am second. And I'm like, you're actually third. <laughs> you need to change it to I am third. Because God's first, others are second, you're third. So we've got to put others ahead of ourselves. In Romans 12.10, it says, Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. So a noble mind deeply cares for the concerns of others. If you're struggling, I'm struggling. If you need help, I'm there to be there for you. So I want to encourage you, just as the church surrounded Paul, and they didn't want Paul to die before his time, they sent him away. And there's a good theological truth we can take from this, that if you're serving God, if you're following his will, nobody can take you out before your time. Isn't that encouraging? And we see that in Jesus' ministry. There are times where people wanted to kill Jesus, but before it was his time, he, he, he would escape the crowd. He, he would leave unscathed. We see that in Paul. How many times did people try to kill Paul? Many times, almost every city he went to. But until it was his time, he kept going. So my challenge to you, before we go into the next point, just an application point, if you see someone struggling in your circle of influence, Maybe they teach a Sunday school class. Maybe they're leading a women's ministry. Maybe there's someone in the school system. Maybe someone in your family is struggling. You be the one to encourage them. You be the one to speak words of life to them. Because you may be the one person that encourages them not to quit. You know, they may be on the verge of getting ready to say, I quit. But you may be the one person that turns it around. And uh, there's, there's studies coming out uh, since we've been in COVID for two years. I want to say post-COVID, but we're kind of right still in it, right? But there's so many studies about ministry leaders that are quitting. I can't remember what the stat is. It's something as high as like 30% of ministry leaders are quitting because they're like, I can't take it anymore. So be that person that encourages. Be that person that surrounds and continues on. All right, someone say a noble mind. Number two. A noble mind eagerly receives God's word in a way that's transformative. A noble mind eagerly receives God's word in a way that's transformative. Look at verse 11. These were more fair-minded, or some translations say noble, than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word of God with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether those things were so. So we're going to do a little survey and I want to ask you guys whether you think this is in the Bible or not. I'm going to say a few phrases that are very popular. Um, and you tell me. The first one is cleanliness is next to godliness. How many of you think that's in the Bible? <laughs> All right. God helps those who helps himself. That was Ben Franklin, right? I think he said that. All right. Um, money is the root of all evil. We had some people in the first service. That it says the love of money, right? <laughs> All right. Uh, honesty is the best policy. That sounds biblical, right? But it, it's honesty is the only policy if you want to get biblical. So a lot of times we have sayings, probably my favorite that I've I probably years ago said myself and you may have said, but there, there's a very popular phrase that God will not put more on you than you can bear. Where is that in the Bible? It's nowhere. Now, what they're referring to is first Corinthians 10, 13, where it says when you're faced with the temptation, God will make a way of escape. So that you may be able to stand up under it. And someone somehow they paraphrase that to God will not put more on you than you can bear. Well, if that's the case, you don't need God, right? Because when, when you can't bear it, that's when you call upon God. When you can't handle it, that's when you call. So look at the church at Berea. They didn't just believe what they heard. Anybody here from Missouri? Missouri people, raise your hand. Missouri is the 
show me state, right? That's how Berea was. All right, Paul, you said Jesus is the Messiah. Show me. I, I want you to show me scripture where, where that's true. So they were more noble-minded. If you look at your listening guide, this comes from the Greek base word eugenis. And some of you have heard the name Eugene, American name Eugene. That's where we get the word from in the original Greek eugenis. And it generally meant someone that was well-born or nobility. That'd be kind of cool, right? Name your kid Eugene, well-born, nobility. But later on, it described someone who had a generous spirit. It described someone that was open-minded, not hostile, not suspicious of others, and was willing to give others a fair hearing. Now, can I tell you how evangelicals are looked at on the outside world? We're looked at as closed-minded, right? We're looked at people won't listen. But here's the thing. If you have the truth, why would you be afraid to let other people tell you what they believe, right? You, you search everything by the word. Now, we bring everything back to the word. But even as evangelicals, we should not be afraid to give someone a fair hearing. Okay, tell me what you believe. Tell me about your journey. And then what we do is we take that and bring it back. So I want to give you three characteristics of a noble mind. This is still under point two, but these all start with the letter H to kind of help you understand it. The first one is humility. You have to have a teachable spirit. Have you ever met anybody that was the consummate know-it-all? I was that person in my 20s. I'm just being honest with you. Um, You know, that person is not very pleasant to be around. That person, they're prideful and they don't know it, but everyone else knows it, right? So if you are noble-minded, you've got to have a teachable spirit. Something my father-in-law taught me, who, he's now in heaven. John used to say, Timothy, you can learn something from everybody. You can learn something from the person that takes up the garbage. You can learn something from the doctor. Everyone has something to teach you. Always learn from everybody. And I, I believe he's right. The second H is hunger. That you receive the word of God with, with a sense of excitement, anticipation. It's kind of like, have you ever had your favorite meal and your body just starts to shake? Anybody, any of you shakers out there, your body starts to get so excited? My wife has that gene and my one-year-old daughter Grace has that gene. We'll start food out there and her body will just start to shake. And I'm like, that's different, you know. Uh, but they're just excited. When's the last time you got that around God's word? Like when someone was reading a Bible or you're reading the Bible yourself and you just start to shake with anticipation. Like, God, I can, I'm leaning forward. I cannot wait to receive what you have for me. That's the hunger. And notice that they were so hungry they searched the scriptures daily. Now, how many of you have a Bible? At least on you or in person or at your house, all right? How many of you have a Bible on your phone? So you have 24-7 access to the Bible, Back in the early century, this is probably around 80, 49, 50, somewhere in that ballpark. I don't know the exact date, but they didn't have Bibles like we have Bibles. They didn't even have chapter and verse. If you wanted to read the Bible, guess what you had to do? You had to go to the local synagogue and they had scrolls. So think about this. When it says they searched the scriptures daily, they didn't pull out their smartphone. They didn't pour out their hard copy of the Bible. They had to make a trip walking or riding on donkey, whatever their mode of transportation was, to the synagogue. And they would talk to the synagogue leader and say, all right, uh, show me what it says in this passage. And in some small synagogues, they simply had the Pentateuch. They didn't have all the scrolls. Now, if you're a bigger synagogue, you may have all the scrolls. So what do you do if they didn't have the copy of Isaiah? You would have to travel to another synagogue. Do you have the copy of Isaiah, the scroll? Yes. So most synagogues at least had the first five books of the Bible. 
So what they would have to do is, like, all right, Paul, you said Jesus is the Messiah, the suffering servant. Show me an Isaiah. So they'd have to unroll the scroll and then have to look. Now, can you imagine that dedication every day going to church saying, show me, show me what it is. So you have humility, you have hunger, and then you have honorable. This means that you're honest, you're fair, you're just. You're willing to give someone a fair hearing. And then when it doesn't line up in Scripture, you ask the person, okay, show me in the Bible where that says that. Okay, Timothy, you said that. Where's that in the Bible? So I want to I challenge you to be a Berean. Don't just believe what I tell you or your, your Arden Group teacher tells you or the person on TV tells you. Go back and say, is this in the Bible? Is there a chapter and verse for what you're saying? Do I really believe that's in Scripture? Because if it's not, the only thing that's authoritative is God's Word. So I want to encourage you to be a Berean. Look at the person next to you and say, be a Berean. If you were a cheerleader, you may some say something like this. Be, be, be a Berean. Be, be, be a Berean. Get, get, get in God's word. Study, study, study every day. Be, be, be a Berean. All right, you guys will remember that cheesy thing. It'll stick with you, okay? So what happens... When a Christian or a church gets daily into the word in a way that shows humility, hunger, and honor. Well, you see in the the scripture passage, look at the next verse, verse 12, therefore. And when you see the word therefore, you say, what is it therefore? Well, because they studied it daily, you notice in Thessalonica, there was a few that got saved. Notice in verse 12, it says many of them believed. And also not a few of the Greeks, prominent women as well as men. Now, I've got to point out, I mentioned this in the first service, and all the ladies like this. Notice who it mentions first, the women first. Luke always highlights women. Normally you would mention the men first, but he said, by the way, prominent women and men. So all the ladies like, amen, thank you. So if you're taking notes, you might want to write down Acts 20, verse 4. One of the believers was a guy named Sopater, that's S-O-P-A-T-E-R, Paul led him to Christ and he later assisted him in his ministry. So here's the amazing thing about when people get into the word. You never know who's in the audience. You never know what God's going to do. So any LeBron James fans out there? You're like, Timmy, that's a big jump from Sopater to LeBron James. Okay, follow me. Well, LeBron James is in the 19th year and love him or not love him. He's very successful in basketball. And someone asked him, why do you play so hard every week, every game? Why are you sweating it out? I mean, you're in your 19th year. You're supposed to be, you know, taking it a little easier. Why are you still giving all you got? And he said something that stuck with me. He said, you never know who's in the audience. You never know. This is the worldwide famous guy. Every game he plays his best because you never know who's in the audience. So when you're at the coffee shop and you see someone there that you encourage them, You never know who you're talking to. You never know. The next person you lead to Christ may be the next Billy Graham, may be the next Beth Moore, whoever. You never know who's in the audience. You may lead one person to Christ and they could forever change the world. You may change someone's world and they change the world. Paul later on told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16 the importance of the Bible. As we look at the Bereans getting into the word daily. Paul said all scripture is theos paneo, it's God-breathed. And it's profitable for doctrine, for proof, for correction, for instruction and righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So 
I mentioned this in times past. I've talked to people and they said, Timothy, I've never heard God speak to me. I've never heard. I've been in church all my life. And my response to them is, have you ever read the Bible? Well, of course I read the Bible. Well, anytime you've read the Bible, you've heard God speak. Because all scripture is the breath of God. So if you've read the Bible, you've heard God speak. So now you can never say I've never. You may have never heard God speak audibly like Moses in the burning bush. But God never promised to speak to you audibly. He gave us a reliable word, a reliable scripture. So I just want you to think about the word of God from Old New Testament for just a moment. As we look at its power, the word of God is living and powerful. The word of God is the refreshing fire that purifies your heart. The word of God is the hammer that breaks the hard heart. The word of God is the mirror that shows you who you really are. The word of God is like the seed that multiplies and produces fruit. The word of God is like water that cleanses our soul as we walk in holiness. The word of God is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. The word of God is like snow and rain which comes down from heaven and produces the results and does not return void. The word of God is like a sharp sword that cuts to our inner being. The word of God is the catalyst of saving faith because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The word of God is like bread for the hungry soul. For man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. The word of God is savory meat for the growing believer. The word of God is more valuable than great gold, and it's sweeter than the sweetest honey. This is the word of God. So I want to challenge you. If you get into the word, the world will get out of you. But if the world gets out of you, you'll get back into the world with the word. So, how many of you have ever been on a boat before? Yes, most of us at least ridden in a ferry or whatever. A boat in the water is really good and it's really fun. But what happens when water gets in the boat? That's what happens. <laughs> that almost happened to me once when I was fishing with my brother David in a place called Waterville on the Tennessee line. The water started coming in the boat and we started getting it out. Because water in the boat sinks the boat. In our day and time, we hear a lot of talk about deconstructing your faith and people walking away from the faith and and you're like what's going on with so many christians in the world like why do you have to deconstruct the authentic faith and maybe you didn't maybe someone didn't have authentic faith and you have to get rid of the lies i understand that but here's the thing we see people apostatizing and walking away from the faith and why well what it is is it's one thing to be in the world it's another thing for the world to be in you when the world's in you, this is what happens. Your boat, as Paul says, you become shipwreck concerning the faith. And that's why we see so many Christians. And I would encourage you to be like a Berean, get into the word. And if you get into the word, you won't have to worry about your boat sinking. So many people that are walking away from the faith, it's, they're, they're in the word. And then all of a sudden they get in the world and the word's over here. And water starts to come in their boat and they start sinking. And then they walk away from the faith. So don't allow the world to sink your, your spiritual boat. So I want to encourage you today. If you're not as passionate about the Lord Jesus Christ as you used to be, are you in his word? You discover Jesus by reading the word of God. In the word, it talks about Jesus. A lot of people say, well, I love God. Well, how do you love God apart from his word? How do you know God apart from his word? The word declares who he is. 
and we live it out in our daily lives. And the Holy Spirit teaches us the more you know about God, the more you can love about him. So if you want to fall in love with Jesus fresh and new, you've got to get into his word. If you want to change your life, you've got to start, start by changing your mind. All right, someone say noble thought. Noble thought. Let me give you a noble thought. This is the application step. This is a disciple habit. How do you get into God's word daily? Well, it's obvious. Pick up the Bible, read it. But maybe you need some help. Maybe you need some guidance. Um, there's some good resources on something called the YouVersion Bible app. If you have a smartphone, you can download YOU, YouVersion Bible app. There's daily reading plans. Every day there's a daily devotional and video. It takes about one or two minutes. There's even a kid's version if you scroll down. So I play it for my kids. Sometimes they find me boring. I don't know why, but they find daddy boring. So I'll, I'll play the kid's version and let it play during breakfast sometimes. And it's some crazy person on the screen and, you know, getting the word to them. Uh, how many of you have signed, out for, signed up for Right Now Media at the church? Raise your hand. Right Now Media. All right. Only a handful. This is something the church pays for on your behalf. It's got some, somewhere like 14,000, 15,000 videos. I've lost count how many videos. But it's kind of like what Netflix is to videos. It's everything Christian. So if you go on our church website, ardenfbc.com, and click on media, there's a free subscription for Right Now Media. There's a men's channel, women's channel, a marriage channel. If you're dating someone and want to know about premarital counseling, there's series on that. Uh, my favorite is the kids' channel. On the kids' channel, there's hundreds of resources for children of all ages. If you're a teenager, there's a, a student's channel. So I love my, my kids in the morning. They'll be like, guess what? We're watching right now media. Oh, I want to see something else. It's like, well, we've got to start, start our day off in God's word. So those, those are some resources that are there for you. And also, as Joe mentioned about the fast, this is one good way to get into God's word in a fresh way. And if you've never fasted before, this is our sixth annual fast. We've done this for six years in a row. And what we're doing is we're asking you to set aside some time so that you can pray and seek God. And if you've never fasted before and you're scared to death, maybe fast for one meal or one day. Uh, we have a lot of people in our church that's fasting for a week. There are some that are fasting for two weeks, and we have some that are fasting for up to 40 days. So wherever you fall on that spectrum. And Amy's going to send out an email um, next week. It's going to have a link to a devotional we're going to do together as a church. It's a 10-day devotional along with your fast. And you can put comments on it. And it's just something for us to do together. And just to reemphasize, it's however God leads you. Fasting is something that has to be spirit-led. So if God's not leading you to do it, then don't do it. But we encourage you, if he is, it's one of those things that's so good to be involved. But there are three options we're, we're presenting. The one is the Daniel Fast, which most of you are familiar with. It's basically a vegan-based diet where you give up meat and uh, desserts and... If you do the strict version, it's no coffee. I already hear moans on the audience. Um, the second option is a vegetarian, which is similar to vegan, but you can have dairy products, you can have coffee. And then the third option is a liquid diet, where you start your breakfast and lunch off with just a liquid, like a protein shake, a smoothie, and then you eat a normal dinner. So those are three options. Um, I think that, you know, for most of us, you can find one of those that works best for you, what God's leading you. And like I said, if you're like, I've never done it, try it for a meal. Try it for a day and see what God will do. All right. Number three, a noble mind. Third point. A noble mind greatly agitates the mob of the ignoble. You're like, what are you talking about the mob of the ignoble? Look at verse 13. It says, but when the Jews from Thessalonica learn 
that the word of God was preached by Paul at Berea, they came there also and stirred up the crowds. So think about this. From Thessalonica to Berea. Let's go and throw the map up there. Guys, we have a biblical map here. So this is Paul's journey. And if you kind of see the squiggly lines from Thessalonica to Berea, it was about 46 miles. And it's kind of hard to see on the map. But think about 46 miles. This is before cars. This is before trains. Um, So think about 46 miles. How could you be so upset at someone that you would travel on foot or by donkey or whatever it may be, 46 miles to stir up the crowd? Now, for, for everyone that's been involved in ministry, I want you to get this picture. Berea was like the perfect church for Paul. I mean, they, they would read the Bible daily. They showed up to church every day. I mean, not just the Sabbath day. They were there every single day. And um, they, they were such a loving group. This is the type of church that Paul could say, you know, I know I've got to do a second and third missionary journey in Rome. But, hey, I'm just going to stay here at Berea. I'm just going to enjoy my time at Berea. But notice what happens. The, 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 the same people that... Mob stirred up in Thessalonica. They traveled 46 miles to serve the crowd here in Berea. And that brings up a question. What do you do for the critics in your life? Now, not all of you are maybe like the Apostle Paul. Maybe not everyone's a missionary or pastor or teacher. But in your personal life, you're serving God. And yet, you ever notice at work, there's conflict. At home, there's conflict. Even sometimes with your spouse, there's conflict right how do you handle it how did paul handle it well a few things lifeway research i want to bring you some of the things they 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 mentioned i thought was really good it's basically how to handle a church antagonist but you could apply this to your own relationships the number one thing is realize that antagonists are seldom happy you ever notice that critical people are usually not happy here's one thing that will help you to say thank god i'm not married to that person Right? I don't have to live with them. Right? They may be at my job. They may be at the school or wherever, wherever you live, work, and play. But thank God you're not married to them. Right? So that's one thing to think about. Um, don't deal with an antagonist on your own. You know, Biblically, if you have a conflict, you confront it one-on-one. And if they don't listen, what do you do? You bring on other people to help you. So if someone's in attack mode, don't try to do it alone. And something I want to bring back to you is the 25% principle. This will set you free. Do you guys remember the likability 25 principle? You're like, how many of you remember the 25% principle? All right, this will bring it back. No matter who you are, everybody, this is social psychology, a recent study. It's not like, you know, foolproof science. But according to one survey, 25% of people you meet will never like you just because of your personality. You're like, oh, that explains a lot. So one out of four people will not like you, no matter who you are. Another 25% don't like you initially, but they like you over time. You ever met someone, the first impression wasn't the best, but then you grew on them over time? Okay, you were all there. 25% will like you right away, but they could be convinced not to like you. And then 25% will love you no matter what, like like your mom, right? (laughs) So here's the thing. Paul... He was so bold and dynamic. Everywhere he went, there was going to be a 25% or so that did not like him. And because of the type of person he was, that 25% or whatever it was turned into a mob. So realize that God's going to work even in spite of opposition. And it brings a greater theological question. And this is a very serious one that what do we do when gospel efforts seem to be thwarted? 
Like when we send missionaries to a certain country and they are martyred. Or there's a genocide in a certain country and a lot of the people that die are Christians. And now another faith, another religion's taken over that other than Christianity. God, why would you let the gospel be thwarted? I mean, look at Paul. He's preaching the gospel. And what happens? They run him out of town. Why would God allow such things to happen? Well, it's no easy answer, but a few things to think about is God is always working behind the scenes even when you can't see it. Satan plays the short game. God is in the long game. Satan may seem like he's winning temporarily, but God's the ultimate victor. The other thing to realize is Satan often overplays his hand. Sometimes when persecution breaks out and Satan's trying to squelch the gospel, what happens? The believers spread and the fire of the gospel spreads to foreign places it never would otherwise. So I want to encourage you that even when it seems like Satan is presently prevailing, God is still working behind the scenes. So even in your own life, if you have faced obstacles, if you've faced critics, if you've faced challenges in your own life, your own family, your own job, wherever it may be, keep following God. Don't let others derail you from what God is leading you to do. If you want to change your life, you've got to first start by changing your, your mind. All right, someone say a noble mind. You know, this is the last point, and then you guys can have some good lunch. We're going to get out early again, God willing. Like I'm starting to like this trend, Timothy. All right, number four, a noble mind passionately pursues God's plan, even in the face of great adversity. So look at verse 15. So those who conducted Paul brought him to Athens, and receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come with all speed, they departed. So it reminds me of a parallel story. How many of you remember studying Andrew Jackson in school? Andrew Jackson was, you know, quite an influential person in American history. But his childhood high school buddies started talking about him one day. This is obviously in the time when he was president. They said, you know, there was a guy in our school that was smarter than Andrew, that was stronger. Who was his name? His name was Jim Brown. And Andrew would have this wrestling match with Jim And three out of four times, Jim would win, but the fourth time, Andrew would win. And one of the other friends said, I remember that, but wasn't it three times and you're out? Like once you got thrown out of the ring ring three times, you're out. They said, yes, but Andrew Jackson would never admit to being thrown. He would keep being thrown. And so by the fourth time they wrestled, uh, Mr. Brown was so tired, Andrew Jackson would throw him out and he would be the, the victory. He would lose three, but he'd win the fourth. So out of that came the saying, the thing that counts is not how many times you are thrown, but whether you're willing to stay thrown. In other words, you're not going to give out. Yes, I've been defeated, but I'm going to keep going. Yes, I've messed up, but I'm going to keep going. And I just want to challenge you as a Christian. In a lot of Christian circles, it's one strike and you're out. But God is a redemptive God. You may have messed up, but when you mess up, you fess up and then you get up. You mess up, you fess up, and then you get up. Don't stop. Don't let guilt and condemnation keep you down. Because when we look at the record of scriptures, we see people like Peter that cursed and denied Jesus not once, not twice, but three times. And yet he got back up. We see people like Paul, before he became a Christian, he, he was involved in the murder and persecution of other believers. And when God got a hold of his life, he didn't let his past drag him down, but he went forward. We look in the Old Testament, people like David, who was a man after God's own heart, but yet he committed adultery and murder. 
And you're like, what was the secret for their lives, even though they messed up? You know what? They kept on asking God to forgive and kept moving forward. So if you're here today or you're listening online and maybe you've been thrown out of the ring, maybe you've been defeated, now's the time for you to get back up. It would have been so easy for the Apostle Paul to say, you know what, I quit. And these people, everywhere I go, you know, they throw me out. There's a mob. But you know what he knew? He had a calling on his life. God had a destiny for him. And the same is true for you. You've got a calling. You've got a destiny. So you can't quit. Failure is always an event. It's never a person. As long as you get back up. As long as you keep moving forward. So notice what Paul did next. Did he quit? Did he complain? Did he throw a town hall meeting? Did he write a blog post against his critics? Um, it's, it's funny. Uh, I use a lot of basketball stories, but I was watching uh, any New York Knicks fans in here. So New York Knicks were down 25 points recently. And Julius Randle, the star, was getting boozed by the whole Madison Square Garden crowd. So he just started going off and scoring, and he brought them back to win. And as he was bringing them back to win, he did a thumbs down to the crowd, like, how dare you boo me? So all the commentators are talking about it, saying, listen, in sports, it's either cheers or boos. Like, there's no middle ground. So if you're stinking up the joint, you're going to get boos. You shouldn't take it personally. And uh, I thought about that, and I think about this scripture, how Paul, he had a lot of boos. But he didn't stop. He kept going. He kept trusting in God. Because Paul had new places to go. He had new people to meet. He had lives to change with the gospel. So if a door is closed, don't stop knocking. If life throws you a curveball, don't stop swinging. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. And watch what God will do. If you want your life to change, you have to first start by changing your, your mind. All right, so let's um, throw the big idea on the screen. If you want your life to change, you must first start by changing your mind. And how do we change our mind? Well, let me give you four application principles to take home with you. Number one, consider those who are having hardships. You know, it's easy to look out for ourselves. But what we saw in this passage is the church rallied around Paul, both in Thessalonica and at Berea. They said, Paul, listen, we've got to get you out of here. We don't want you to die. We're concerned about you. So part of your New Year's challenge is to get into an arting group where people can look out for you. Where if you're sick in the hospital, guess who's the first people to show up? Your small group. If you need financial help, guess who's the first people to show up with resources? Your small group. Life is better together. You are meant for community. So remember that. All right, second principle. Study God's word in a way that is thoughtful, purposeful, and transformative. So gone are the days where you say, well, Pastor Timothy said so and so. Well, it doesn't matter what Pastor Timothy said unless it's in the Bible. Okay? So everything that I say, everything that anyone says, always go back to the Bible chapter and verse. And the good thing about this church is you know where we're going to be at next week, so you can study ahead. If we left in Acts 7.15, next week we pick up in Acts 7.16, so you can study in advance. So we're going verse by verse, chapter by chapter, so you can study it. Look for yourself. All right, third principle is understand that a noble mind is not always valued by the world. So realize that and stop being so fearful of what people think about you. It's been once said that if you don't want anyone to say anything about you, you say nothing, you do nothing, and you be nothing. But if you're going to be a noble mind, you will have the 
the mass mob of the ignoble come against you. Be, be prepared. And finally, seek to stay faithful in the face of adversity. Don't give up on life's, on God's call in your life. So here's the thing. Andrew Jackson, Jackson, the reason why he became successful, he didn't give up. Paul, the reason why he continued the gospel, he didn't give up. So in 2022, it's not if you will have challenges, it's when you will have challenges. In the world, you will have troubles. But be of good cheer, Jesus said, I have overcome the world. Let us pray.